It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Everybody rejuvenated, weekend off, back to work Monday, putting on the pads. Alex Barth putting on the pads today, heading to Foxborough for Patriots training camp day five. And again, we've spent four days, basically, Alex, the entire run of this saying, well, nothing matters until they put on the pads. Nothing matters when you put on the pads. And, you know, almost every observation is couched with some caveat or built-in excuse of like, well, the it really is this and it really is that. And you're really not going to learn much until you put on the pads. So they did put on the pads. And I don't know how much we learned today, but it does give you a little bit more insight um, into things. I thought it was a pretty subdued day, both just in terms of like the pace of play, the types of things that they were doing. This wasn't one of those like, you know, you, you know, extremely physical right pads go on everybody's dying to hit one another but they did get to go through the motions and do some things that you can't do without the pads uh primarily you know the the working a little bit on the run game and we have some stuff there and we'll talk about it we'll talk about some players who looked pretty good uh, another thing you don't get to see anything in the trenches until the pads go on definitely some stuff we can talk about here who won some battles on the defensive line uh offensive line and other things like that but let's start with the offense because that's everybody's area of greatest concern uh they struggled through the first couple days of camp or you know there might have been a win on one of those days feels like the last three days defense got the better of the offense i'd say in the last couple of days in such resounding fashion that the offense was barely in competitive 11 on 11s able to complete any passes and on on saturday last we saw them alex it was no longer red zone stuff they were now they'd opened up the defense they'd opened up the field a little bit and they still really couldn't get much going Again, no pads, blah, 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 here and there. Today they start running and they start off running a lot of running plays and short passes here. That didn't go that great either. And again, a lot of people are talking about the Shanahanization, you know, of the of the offense, outside zone uh, schemes and things like that, which looks like what they're trying to do. It, nothing really they did today resembles the Patriots offense. So I'm a little confused about a lot of things, Alex, and I want you to kind of chime in here. They say they're still running a Patriots offense, but today didn't look like a Patriots offense. And if they are implementing an entirely new offensive scheme, it's kind of a strange way to go about doing it. Yeah, I, I still don't. And it's like we've seen it, right? But I still don't totally buy the Shanahan thing because it just goes so against their core philosophies. It You know, it's not a scheme that values depth. It's not a scheme that values versatility. Um, it's not a scheme that uh, I think values creativity, which I know creativity doesn't sound like a Patriots core concept on offense. It yeah, kind of is in, it in is. the passing game. It, it is absolutely the is. Game. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just still don't get it. And, and the confusing thing to me is like if, if Josh, Josh leaves, right. And 
you're going to have some sort of reset when you lose your offensive coordinator. I, I get that. If Josh McDaniels had left and they brought in all these guys from outside the system, if they hire maybe Mike McDaniel as an OC, that would have been a lateral mood for him, but he, he's the first guy that pops in my head. Or like a Zach Robinson, who's a guy we had talked about back at the time, right? Then, yeah, this makes a ton more sense because those are guys who have run this throughout their careers. But they bring back Joe Judge. They move Matt Patricia to the offensive side of the ball. Guys who have been here, guys who grew up in this system. So they're implementing a system that they've never totally run. I'm personally not a fan of the Shanahan system just in general. I understand it, it works in certain places. It does. I think it has its limits. I think you need to, like you saw the Rams last year. I think you need to be absurdly talented to be a championship caliber team running the system because you're just pretty much ba banking on physical gifts. There's not a ton of misdirection. There's not a ton of like, you know, hiding this or, or, right. or, or things like that. You're just sort of doing what you do best, right? It's not really at that much of a mental level. So that's, that's where you hear the simplification of it. And I guess that would be the pitch, but I just, they don't have the roster for it. It's not just, I'm not one of these people saying they don't have any skill on offense, but certain players are scheme fits. I don't know that they totally have the roster for it. They don't really have a coach that's experienced. No, with it. it's I not. I still don't get it. Alex, it's not even a matter of, you know, it's not a disparaging thing to say, you know, the offense, you know, they, they, they do lack explosive playmakers on offense. They don't necessarily have like a mauling offensive line anymore, uh, given some of the recent attrition. So you really do have to scheme up some of your offense here. So it, this does fly in the face of that because you think creativity would be of the utmost important here. You can't even do the bully ball you were doing two years ago with Cam Newton. They're not really built that way. So you have to take what you have, and that might be some depth at receiver and receivers that might be able to do different things. Your couple of tight ends and some capable running backs and figure out ways to put them in the best position to succeed. But it is strange to run this type of offense. And it didn't, again, day one, you're trying some new stuff. You don't expect it to work. So right. it can only go, it can only go up from here. But it was kind of noticeable here because it was just, I mean, you it's a false start to start the 11 on to start those drills uh false start from win mac throws a horrible interception to uh terrence mitchell just camped out there in zone just threw it right into his gut um then you're talking about run stuff tackle for a loss two yard gain i think was one of the there was one positive positive play the next closest was a two yard gain and everything was soft to the line right at the line of scrimmage um so there really was nothing going there it really looked grisly i'm not you know not to steal his take here, but uh, we talked with Greg Bedard earlier today. <laughs> and again, there's some hyperbole mixed in here, but he didn't think so. He called it one of the worst offensive periods of football he's seen in his 20 years at training camp. That's pretty bad. He's <laughs> dating back to uh, 20 years ago with the Dolphins. So again, was it that bad? I don't know. That's entirely uh, subjective. Uh, it definitely looked a little bit rough though. I mean, was he not there when Danny Etling was in camp? <laughs> like I, or Tebow, or Tebow. Yeah, I like. The, I don't know about the that. Tebow. They were literally laughing at Tebow because he was scrambling, and they're like, "Dude, this isn't that drill." Right. You know, like he's throwing I, at, oh, end over. I've end been balls. on the beat. I've been on the beat five years. I've seen worse. Like it wasn't good. It, it wasn't good that first period. It's also one period. It wasn't the whole practice. I think people see that 
and they think he's talking about the whole practice. Um, the Mac interception. No, just one period. That right. first period there thought it was rocky. The offense made some plays plays later and there's some good stuff to talk about too we're starting with this, this is right. the first thing we saw and it's the first thing that involved physicality at which we hadn't really gotten to see to this point right it was it was the first everything before that they were in their positional groups i think there was one like wide receiver corner one-on-one period and i love that i want to offense defense couple, head-to-head couple yeah there were some that i do want to yeah. hit on late uh, later too but yeah. just Again, real quick on, you know, that period in, in, in what Greg said and all of that is my notes blow everywhere because it's I got to have the fan going 24 seven. Um, the offensive line did not look good. You had nope. a couple of false starts in there. They really didn't get much of a push up front. I thought the defense and let's it's the weird thing about training camp. I said this the other day, right? You can say anybody looked good or anybody looked bad because it's one team going up against itself. Greg can say the offensive line looked as bad as, as it's ever looked. Somebody else might sit here and say, hey, the, this is one of the best defensive line performance so I've ever seen in training thing, camp, right? Like Same conversation I, we've been having in camp, Alex, with the, you know, it, it, when you put it out there, defense dominated the day. Everyone gets really defensive about it. And, like, they start to act as apologists for the receivers. Uh, and, look, right. it's going to be better. Can't you take it with a – can't you look at it the other well, way? The defensive so here's backs what I'll say. Been, the defensive backs – have been playing really well so far in camp. That's a positive. Defensive line is also an area where you wonder, do they have enough depth, enough brawn up front? They got murdered in the run game last year. Murdered, okay? At critical times, they couldn't get off the field. So them looking good is good. It's not just an indictment on the offense. And it wasn't just the guys you would expect to look good that looked good. And, I mean, they did. Barmore, I thought, was the best player in the trenches Barmore's been Godshaw was good today. Godshaw yeah. was good, but you even had guys like Daniel Aquale had a couple of nice reps. I saw a nice rep from LeBrian Ray. Like that to me was their bigger problem. It wasn't just like, I think, and this goes to back to what we've been talking about over the last week with the Godshaw extension. And why do you pay this guy if the run defense isn't as good, right? I think they had guys at the top of the depth chart who can play, but defensive lines are rotational position. Guys really aren't cracking 70% usage rate. It's when Godshaw had to come off the field. It's when Barmore had to come off the field. There was this monumental drop-off in ability, and I think that's what killed them. So when you see a guy like Daniel Aquale, again, playing well, that's an encouraging sign because, hey, maybe they have a depth piece here. And I know he was here last year. He actually played well when he was on the field. He was just a practice squad guy, so they didn't have him in every game. Um, LeBron Ray, everybody knows how high I am on LeBron Ray. Again, had a good rep. Uh, to go back to that offensive period, you know, the false starts kill you. But again, that's kind of a first-day thing. I just thought the defense brought the energy today. And this is kind of how things go in camp too. They go back and forth. Like one unit makes their statement. And okay, so the defensive line, the defensive front, they made their statement today. Certainly, they were the better unit today. They came with more energy. And you love to see that. You do. Now it's all right. The offensive line has to sit on this. They got to go into meetings. They got to watch themselves getting beat. They got to go home. They got to think about it. They got to feel it. They're going to come in tomorrow kind of ticked off. And now it's all right. Are they going to Are they going to respond? Are they going to punch back? Like that's sort of how camp goes it turns into this back and forth and you just see which side can one up the other. Yeah. And, and, and that's of course, and you see it a lot and you see some instances where, you know, uh, a defense, uh, you know, there's other teams in camp where a defense might be outplaying an offense and the team is more known for its offense than defense. And then you're, as you said, they flip the script. We see this in uh, practices against opposing teams. They get beat up bad one day, they come back and they have a good day. So again, you're not reading a ton into it, but 
the bigger picture thing here is, yes, it's training camp. Yes, it's early. Um, yes, you don't expect results right away, particularly if you're working in any sort of new schemes. But you are potentially setting yourself up to fail with the way that the system is running right now, which again, no matter, I don't, I don't care how many different ways it's spun. I will not for the life of me understand what's going on behind the scenes in terms of who's managing the offense and the offensive play calling. Um, and whether or not that's an issue. And again, it's extremely early to say that it's going to be the scapegoat um, uh, for, for this, for this team. If, things go south or the offense really starts slowly. You're putting yourself in a position. Again, we talked about this the other day, Alex. You're saying, well, Belichick's saying it's on me and not these guys, but everyone's going to be pointing at Belichick's decision to hand the reins potentially to Patricia to create an environment where people don't really know what's going on. Uh, you know, the, the, the assistants talked today and naturally Matt Patricia is one of the things he was asked about. Here's what he had to say about the what's going on behind the scenes with the offensive play calling. Are you the one scripting? We all kind of handle all of the coaches uh, all the way across the board. We all kind of work together. Coach Belichick obviously, um, you know, helps us a lot too. And, and uh, you know, myself and Joe and Nick Kaylee and Vinny and Billy, we all, it's, it's a big divide and conquer at, at some points where we have to just, we have a lot of work to get done through the course of the night and, and everybody really understands what we're trying to do. Not everybody. Not everybody understands. Right. What they're trying to do. So I don't get it. I don't get it. it no, it, it won't make sense to me. We're not saying it's the end all be all. It's not going to take the season. It's just weird. Um, and will continue to be weird. And it might be the greatest success story ever. And how many times have we said, what the hell is going on here? And then it ended up working. Um, but this just still seems weird. Well, it's it's funny. Like, it seems weird until you remember they've been doing this on defense for four or five years. Now, yeah. and, and some of that's just the, the fantasy football occasion of the game. And people don't really think about defense anymore. It's just something that's there to kill their fantasy, best fantasy receiver or best fantasy running back or whatever. Yes and no, but, Alex. Last year, again, last year it was, uh, you know, Bill was really actively involved. And I think, you know, one of the vibes behind the scenes is when he took a step back, things got a little bit chaotic and there was a, li a little bit of questioning. Again, this is what's been talked about behind the scenes. There was some questioning about who am I listening to here, this guy or this guy. I'm listening to one guy in practice and one guy in the game and different people are whispering in my ear and telling me to do this thing. I'll go back to uh, everyone's seen the movie Office Space. I've yep. got seven bosses, Bob. You know, like you can't have seven bosses because you can't be you can't do one thing. Have somebody tell you you should be doing something different. Take five steps to your left and find out that somebody else comes over and says, actually, you should be doing this. And be like, Well, which one of you is the final say here? Who am I listening to here? It's a lot of voices. Is not great. I, I, I mean, you have to be in lockstep and everybody's got to be delivering the same exact message. If you're going to have multiple people in your ear telling you what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, no, I I mean, that's a fair point. Again, I think it's probably clear, clearer behind the scenes than it is to us, but it does. I mean, there was some of that last offseason. You're absolutely right. Or last season, you're absolutely right. Where it's, well, what exactly is going on there? It did look disjointed at times. Remember, they had all those, like, too many men on the field penalties, and they had to burn those timeouts. They couldn't figure out their personnel. It's like stuff like that that concerns me, right? So I, I, I guess we'll see. It is weird. It is weird at the end of the day, though. <laughs> It's weird. So, and like, again, I, so I guess my point is, what I said at the beginning, let me rephrase that. When I said it's weird until you remember they've been doing it on defense, it's weird on defense too. I guess the, the phrase it's 
people are acting like it's unexpected, like it's unheard of, right? Well, it's not because they've been doing it for five years. It's still weird, but it's not. People are acting like this came out of nowhere, like this is some massive groundbreaking territory. They've done this on offense in the past, and they've done it on defense, you know, up until now for the last five consecutive years. All right, real quick, we want to take a pause and tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. And of course, the Patriots Beat Podcast and the entire CLNS Media Network is powered by Bet Online. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. They have it all. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our code CLNS50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, the code is CLNS50. Receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. While they haven't in last year was the first year, really, like I said, is you had in the past not naming coordinators, but it being very obvious who they were. It's like you have to graduate to that title in Bill Belichick's world, but it was clear. I mean, McDaniels didn't well, I get think the it was a couple for a years. long time. You know, I think it was a couple of years because at least on defense, because it, it was really when Flores left. They After never... Flores left, you've been living with it. Okay. Yeah. And it hasn't been awesome. So we're not going to say they've lived with it and thrived um, since then. After Flores left and you had a Super Bowl winning caliber defense here, then you didn't. And I'm not saying it was all him. Uh, a lot of it is personnel as well. But Yes, you've lived with it on defense the last couple of years. You didn't really in the 18, 19 years prior during this entire run. There was clearly an alpha on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Whether or not they got the title, there was one voice, okay? This multiple voices thing is odd. Yeah, no, it is It, it is definitely odd. Um, but it's, again, it's something they've been doing, so it's not, they, they've clearly been able to manage it, right? They've had some level of success with it. So that's just why. And maybe it's something that works on defense and not on offense. That's possible too. And, and maybe, we'll maybe, that. maybe. Yeah, maybe it's, 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 I don't know. Again, it'll continue. My main point is I'm not going to lay the blame of anything that's happening through five days of friggin' training camp on anything going on schematically behind the scenes, but you're no. setting yourself, you're setting yourself up. To, to to scapegoat this particular situation because it is unorthodox. Uh, when unorthodox works, that's great. When it doesn't, it's what the hell are you doing? It's no different than a draft philosophy. When you go off the board and you take a Logan Mankins, well, holy crap, that was great. But if you take a strange and he ends up not being great, it's couldn't you have just drafted the consensus best guy? It always works that way. So that's the risk right. you take when you have unorthodox behavior. Bill Belichick has more than earned the right to do that because he's gone off the board and done strange, unconventional things throughout his tenure, and it's worked to tremendous success. But we're teetering a little bit here, Alex. Well, so That's what I'm saying. Let me just add this, too, to the people who are putting, you know, the training camp struggles, attributing the training camp struggles to the offensive play calling. And I'm not. What, you're not. And you said you, you're, One what you just said made me think of this, and I'm not either. I, and, and look, some people don't necessarily know the ins and outs of how training camp works. So let me, I, I want to explain it for people because I like this to be an educational show. When, with what they're running right now is not their playbook. Like the plays, no. and I, I, I use plays loosely, and this is even in the preseason, right? They might have a couple of concepts 
from their playbook that they tried in the preseason. But for the most part, basically what they're doing, it's like a game of Madden. They have like 40 plays drawn up on a chart and they're just picking from that chart. And that's what they're running. They don't start running their actual, like their actual true system until the practices get closed to the public. That's just the react that that's how it works. So they're using some concepts now that they'll try to run, but they're focused on such a micro level now on a player to player basis and technique and, yeah. and, th- and things like that. The, the plays themselves don't really matter a ton in terms of what they're looking at right now and what they're evaluating right now. So the play calling, nobody's calling plays right now. There's somebody saying that, Hey, here's the assignment, but it's not play calling in the way that it would be that it's going to be, you know, week one against the dolphins, right? It's two completely different things. So you can be concerned about the play calling setup. That's totally fair. I'm a little concerned about it, but you can't, it doesn't make any sense to say happening in the offense is struggling in camp. So the play calling situation's a mess. The two aren't related. If the offense is struggling, if anything, just simply in, it's a lot of one-on-one sort of stuff you're seeing at camp and they're just losing. Each guy is just, the defense is getting better of their one-on-one matchups mainly. And that's mainly what we're seeing here in terms of offensive struggles. It's not system. It's not communication. Very. I mean, you had one Mac communication issue in practice where, um, you know, he and Jacoby got their signals crossed. That was his first pick. Everything else has been that guy's covered incomplete. Um, today it was the defensive line blew everything up at the line of scrimmage and the running backs couldn't get anywhere. That's just guys beating guys. There's nothing schematic here. There's nothing about a new system. There's nothing about the play call. They're running Pat. They're running red zone offense where they're going to pass all the time with no pads. You know, passes are coming. It's not a scheme. It's not a play call. The defense knows what's coming. They're just right. Going, you know, man to man and 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 the defense has gotten the better of a lot of the matchups it's as simple as that um so let's talk about you know let's stay on let's let's switch to the positive side on the defensive side of the ball talked about the d-line barmore was definitely the biggest head turner today um i think because again you get to see those one-on-ones uh when they go up against each other uh and he's just Friggin' tough to block, man. Um, He's just, he got in the backfield quick on one snap on those 11 on 11s. He's just, you know, you talk about. He's good. He's very good. He's He's very good. Very good. You talk about need for a playmaker or somebody to elevate themselves to better than just another guy on this team and a team that doesn't have a lot of these guys. Barmore is as close to that guy as anybody on the team, I might say right now. I don't, I don't mean to throw out hyperbole, but if you see somebody kind of breaking through and being a problem, it might be him. Well, I mean, you're talking about becoming one or already is. Cause I would, even with the rough end last year, I, I put Judon in that category. Uh, yeah. He well, just, he fell off the, I know planet. it's tough, but when he was those first 12 weeks, when he was on, he was a top three. He was great, but I, 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 it erased some of that for me in my mind, but sure. No, that's, and that's, look, that's totally fair. I think Barmore's terrific. I, I, I really think he's an outstanding player. I think he can be a difference maker. The question for me with him, and this is why I got expe- especially excited about what I saw today. We know he has that explosive first step. And I don't know if it's because if he got better or it's because I haven't seen him in a year or whatever, but I mean, he, what he was doing today was like beyond, it seemed like beyond what he was doing when we last saw yes. him last year. We know he can get after the passer. To me, the next step for him, and people say, oh, he's going to take the year two leap, the year two leap. Is he going to be a three-down guy, and is he going to be able to play base? Right. How do you qualify that? 
is he going to be able to give you more as a run stopper? Like he was yeah. mostly a pass rusher last year. That kind of makes sense. That's who we thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. That's why he fell to the second round. You know, people weren't sure if he could be that three down guy. What he did today, again, they were having trouble stopping the run. We just talked, or, or they were having trouble running the ball offensively. We just talked about it. Christian Barmer was a big part of the reason for that. And that's why I go back to, well, maybe the offense wasn't the worst it's been in 20 years. Maybe Christian Barmer was just really freaking good. And he was all jacked up today. He, he had the motor going today. I, I, I don't know. There's, I don't know that there's a player people are more excited for on this team than Barmore, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, maybe Ramondre or Taquan Thornton on offense, but uh, early on, early on, it looks like Barmore is ready to deliver what we're all, you know, even some of our higher expectations. Yeah. He's definitely a guy who's turning heads uh, and, and, and he did today. And again, you really need those pads to come on in order to see anything from anybody in the trenches. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, we'll stick with the big guys up front. Uh, You know, strange, uh, on the offensive side, Cole Strange, less so um, today. Yeah. Um, had a couple of tough moments. There was one moment where Bill even kind of pulled him aside and kind of talked to him one-on-one. Um, you know, this is going to be a question mark. I mean, he's just been slotted in as a starting guard here, um, and it's his, you know, it's his job to lose. Uh, we're not saying he's losing it, but he's definitely, uh, you know, looks like he's – a little behind. I mean, he looks like he looks like a rookie from a small school. Yeah. And that's not, like that's not to say he's going to be a total bust. Like you can clean that up. And so that's I'll 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 try to be positive with the negative here. The issues I saw from him today are all coachable, fixable things. I thought his hand placement, you know, his initial burst was good, but I think he didn't necessarily have that drive to keep it and then it comes to the hands and his hand work kind of fell apart, right? Well, you can coach up the hands. That's that's teaching. That's all that is. And it's not going to help this year, but a year in the weight room is going to do him a lot of good, right? So I, I'm i not walking away from what he did today saying, oh, they blew the first round pick. It's another Nikhil Harry. Not at all. It's all fixable, but I think there there's going to be some growing pains for him. The question is, can they get it all fixed by week one, which doesn't feel unrealistic at all, at least, you know, the technique stuff. But it's something they have to do. It's on the to-do list. Technique is one. I want to make you also just want to know physically, can he hold up there? You know, like I said, he's not the biggest guy. He is super athletic. So there's stuff he should be able to do. But beyond the technique, you know, can he be a mauler? Can he be a guy who can really hold up there? Can he help, uh, you know, punch holes there in the running game, which, you know, what the things they used to have with Shaq Mason being able to, you know, to run behind, you know. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll, We'll see. Well, no, just to answer that question, like, I think he has the mentality for it. And a lot of that is simply want to. How bad do you want to punch the other guy in the face, metaphorically speaking? Well, maybe literally with some guys. But, you know, how bad do you want to come out and hit the other guy? He definitely has that. He certainly has that. Again, for me, it's a weight room thing. They'll get him him. in in shape and and he'll be good to go. I like him long term. I'm I'm a little worried about what it's going to look like to start. But I think they're going to have a guy who's going to be able to be a starting guard into a second contract. Yeah, yeah, it's again it, uh, what we you know we talked about this earlier in the pod last yeah. week, but uh, you, they really you, they, they drafted him to plug and play, and that's what they're planning on doing. So if he's not going to be ready to go until year two, then you're going to have a problem because right now he's your starting guard, and I don't see anybody else taking that spot from him. I guess if things went disastrously bad, yeah, you'd have to shuffle some things around. Um, other movement on the offensive line: Isaiah Wynn actually held up pretty well today playing right tackle. He talked to the media after the game. This is a guy we've talked about is like, I don't know, is he moving on out? Is he a possible late camp cut uh, to save a buck or two? He he looked pretty good today. He also 
repped in a little bit, uh, left tackle. And I think for sure, if Trent Brown were to go down, Wynn would slot back over to left and you'd put somebody else over on the right side. So he's probably right now. I don't need, I don't know that the, I don't know that the camp competition is over in terms of who your starting left tackle is going to be. I would also say Trent Brown looks like he wants to be anywhere else, but on a football field at this moment, um, that's okay. That's a, the veteran privilege you get sometimes. Some of those bigger guys, they, you, they might not be giving it their all early in camp. It doesn't matter as long as you show up on Sundays. He might be kind of operating under that assumption, but he ran a lap or two today uh, as well. So <laughs> ran a lap. Yeah, but, I was going to uh, say, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I said, he looks like one of those guys who, like, you know, is better off suited not signing until, like, August and then just coming in for a week or two of conditioning and playing. Uh, so camp may not be for him any longer. I'm not necessarily concerned, but he doesn't look, he doesn't look like he loves it. Right? <laughs> like he's loving football at the moment. Um, so I, I it, mean, it, is fair, it is valuable to have win looking okay. So yeah. that's good. To I'm not trying to, Brown, to kill Trent Brown. It's just no, funny it's, to me. No, it's, it, you, I, he, just, he, yeah. I shot him coming in today and I was like, oh my God, you know, I remember so. him being like that in 2018 too. And obviously yeah. he went on and had a great, that's team, who he is. So. And he was awesome um, that year. Right. Yeah. So I, with I'm him, not worried about that. with him. It's health more than right. anything. When it comes to win, I, he has repped a little bit at left tackle. That's mostly been with the second unit. I think that, cause like you just said, Brown is the health issues, right? I think they're preparing. If Trent Brown gets hurt, yeah. Isaiah Wynn's going to have to go back to left tackle. My biggest issue with Isaiah Wynn right now is, and I mean, he spoke after practice and, and people are still asking him about the move to right tackle and he just doesn't want to talk about it. And like, I get that. I get him not wanting to talk about it. I wouldn't expect him to talk about it. I'm not knocking him for not talking about it, but this is a guy who's in a contract year, just got moved to a, a devalued position. I mean, the average, the average out the top 10 contracts, I'm not saying Isaiah Wynn would be a top, the top 10 highest paid left tackle or right tackle in football on the open market. But just when you look at the money, you average out the top 10 contracts at both positions at left tackle. It's like $6 million more million per year that left tackles make than right tackles. I could see him being kind of ticked and it's, you know, how engaged is he? How locked in is he? That's my question with him right now. Yep. Um, some people in the chat asking uh, earlier, and I did want to uh, bring it up. Um, yep. Will we take questions on this pod? Absolutely. Anything I see sure. here, you can just you can fire them off as you go, um, and we can absolutely uh, jump in there and answer some of them and put them up there. So if you uh, don't bombard us all at once, but absolutely throw your questions in there. We'll try to get to some as well as we kind of rifle through our uh, our observations from the day. Um, switching to, I mean, ton, tons of emphasis always. We're going to keep looking at the receivers and how they're doing, um, especially after having, you know, losing a couple of days uh, to, to end camp last week. Uh, there were moments, we mentioned Tyquan Thornton. I love seeing the one-on-ones that they're going there. It really is just you and a guy in the entire field and go. Yeah. Thor, uh, Mike Giardi, when he was on with us, uh, Alex, uh, on day two, mentioned, I'd like to see Jawan Williams maybe line up against Thornton. No, that um, was me. That was me oh, on, was you? Uh, on Friday, and you gave me crap for it. Yeah, my, I, I wanted my, to bring this up. My bad. I thought it was Giardi, but <laughs> it was uh, take the biggest, toughest guy you have, right. put him up against Thornton, and, and smack him in the mouth because ultimately what he needs to do more than anything is um, get off Beat that them. line. 
Yeah. He's got to beat that. So what Jawan Williams does after that matters less than what he does right at the line of scrimmage because he's bigger. And you know what? He has enough speed to be able to keep up there. So he had two reps and one-on-ones, and that's really all we had to go by with Thornton. But the first one, Williams got him all, jammed him a little bit, knocked him off his route. He recovered really well and bounced it outside and took off down the sideline, had a step or so, made a really nice sliding catch that was contested with Williams in the area. Really good job. I've seen – feels like everything that's gone Thornton's way that's catchable, he's hauled it in. That's a really uh, positive uh, sign from him. And then the second one, uh, Williams didn't get a hand on him. He just got off the line quick, beat him on a little quick slant over the middle. Um, And so that was nice. So those were his two reps there. It's nice to see him uh, doing stuff like that. Well, I think it's funny. That, to me, is what his game's going to be, at least early on in New England. It's either going to be win clean off the line underneath or don't get jammed, or even if he gets jammed, like just – recover and go right recover and go it's, you right you've always got that, the, you've got the speed all day so that's that's going to be there you can recover because of your speed not everybody can some people get knocked off the route and it's over he can still run yeah no i i think that first rep was so important because that's a lot of what they're going to ask him to do and yeah again like i said just take and maybe it says more about the patriots corners but take the biggest strongest corner you got and physically that's juan williams you know they don't have steph gilmore around anymore hit him in the face and see how he reacts. And that's exactly what he did. He made up for it. He got upfield. He ended up getting about a step on Juwan Williams. It was a great ball for Mac too. Let's give him yeah, some credit. Beautiful. Uh, and it's one of those, I always get yelled at when I do this, when I say like, oh, the receiver made a great adjustment for the ball. Oh, so you're saying a quarterback sucks. No, you, you can have a great throw and a great catch. There's an entire concept predicated on it called the back shoulder fade. Look it up sometime. But yeah, no, I thought Mac put the ball where it had to be. He trusted, and it's one of those chemistry throws again. I talked about this last week, right, where it's really impressive how much on the, Mac is on the same page with some of these guys. He knew exactly where to put it. Thornton knew exactly where it was going to be. Used all six foot two to go out in front of himself and get it. Uh, I, I, that was an excellent play, and that really, to me, was a snapshot of how are they going to use Tyquan Thornton this year? Those two plays. I, I thought that was a great view of what his role should be on this team for his rookie year. Yeah, and it's great. It's really these little moments that you're looking for a lot of times in camp. And that's it. That's exactly it. You want to see that. He passed both of those tests with, you know, I, you know I'm not going to say flying colors, but that those were good efforts uh, there from him. And you really like to see it. Speaking of the back shoulder, Devontae, again, made a nice back shoulder play on uh, – uh, Malcolm Butler early and then probably had the best play of the day on a deep 40 yard um, completion from Mac Jones. Again, Butler in coverage. He chased him down shoestring tackle to avoid the touchdown. Uh, but again, uh, Parker uh, was, uh, you know, continues to look the part so far um, yeah. and definitely has been the most consistent guy making plays each day through each of the five days that we've seen him so far. You did mention, you did want to talk a little bit about Butler. Yeah, so let me. So he had that play early, but that that back corner fade to Parker has been unstoppable all camp until Rick. Malcolm Butler until today Malcolm. twice broke it up, and yeah. one of them stood out to me because when Malcolm Butler was here the first time and was playing at like the high level when he was here, right, like 2015, 16, One of his best traits, I thought, and like it, this really stood out. If you want an example, do you remember that game in Pittsburgh where he just erased Antonio Brown? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Something Malcolm Butler was was excellent at in his prime. He'll get beat sometimes, like in terms of separation. But if he's there when the ball gets there, he has a very good knack for knowing exactly when to jump, how high to jump, to get to the apex of the ball 
and has strong enough hands to knock that ball out. Like he can beat a receiver to the football he's, at a high level when he's on. He's he very did that physical for, for, for right. a guy, his size, he's very, well, he's very physical, physical, but his timing yep. of using that physicality also stands out. So he made a play like that today to break up that pass to Parker. And the reason I, I want to go into detail on this is when a guy steps away from the game for a year and comes back, you kind of look for that, you know, well, where are the traits that he could lean on in the past? Are those still there? I think that's something that, that was Malcolm Butler's bread and butter in the past. I think that's something that he did very well that he could rely on to help do his job well. So to see he can he still has that in his bag, that's a really encouraging sign when you're talking about, well, what exactly can he give them at 32 years old after a year in retirement? Yeah, and I, I freaking love – You talk about everyone's got their binkies. Everyone's got their guys. I am such a Malcolm Butler guy uh, and have been since, you know, obviously, you know, back then in his first stint. I love him. I love where he came from. I love the story. I love, obviously, I think it's the greatest single greatest play in the history of championship sports uh, that he made. He doesn't get enough credit because we spend too much time talking about why uh, Pete Carroll didn't run the ball. Uh, I mean, but beyond that, like, he was always competitive. It's still such a strange thing to me how things ended with Butler here. And it just drives me nuts that we'll never friggin' have any idea exactly what the story is there. It just seems so out of character for a guy who was just there to compete. Um, and, uh, and it, it, you said what stuck, stuck out to you is timing, his ability to get his hands on stuff to me. I I think he's always competitive. Even when he gets beat, he's competitive. Yeah. He's there. He's around it. Yeah, sometimes he'd get high-pointed at, time, at, at times, uh, and he'd be right in somebody's shirt, and they'd make a contested catch. But he's always, always, always competitive, and he fights for it. So I desperately want to see him come through um, and, uh, and, and make this team. But he seems a little fringy right now. He's been running with the twos exclusively. Uh, almost everybody else has gotten some first team reps at some point or another in the defensive backfield. And that includes Jack Jones. That includes Marcus Jones. And you would imagine John Jones as well, who's he just got off the pup today. Malcolm's been locked in on second team duty the entire time. And he's working on special teams. It's something you don't normally see out of somebody who'd be a starting corner. Maybe that's a ticket to make the team a little bit of special team stuff as well. And a backup cornerback, you can never have too much. But do you think he's a lock? Do you think he's a bubble guy? It feels like it just because they need the depth, right? And, and, and maybe they sign somebody else, you know, based off the roster they have right now. If you cut him, well, now Juwan Williams is your fourth boundary corner. That's that. I mean, that's who he's competing. If you think he's at the last spot, I think he's the third guy right now. I think he's still ahead of Jack Jones for the time being. You do. If you want to say, yeah, I, I think that part of the reason he's playing lower reps, I think they know what they have in him. I think they're maybe trying to ease him back in. I'll be interested to see what he does once joint practices begin. But if you want to say he's the fourth guy, and I understand there's a fair argument to say that at this point. Well, all right, if you cut him, now it's Juwan Williams. And now you're an injury away from Juwan Williams playing 60 to 65% of your snaps defensively, pending an outside addition, right? I don't feel good about that. So I maybe it's maybe it's more by default, but I, I feel pretty confident he's going to make the team somebody you know i was on zolak and bertrand earlier today and i thought they asked the question i thought this was a really interesting way to phrase it is he closer to starting or is he closer to getting cut i don't think he's a starter right now but i I would say he's closer to starting than he is to getting he's firmly in the middle but yeah yeah (laughs) i think he's right there but as you said in terms of outside guys yeah it would be You'd have to go to Juwan. Um, right. And was I wrong or Juwan run with the ones a little bit today? 
Yeah, he did a little bit. You're right. He did. And was it at safety? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. No, they had, a, they had him at boundary corner because I know he went, up, he went up against yeah. Thornton a few times and he went up against Aguilar a few times. They seem to be putting him on the fast guys. I, I wonder if they're thinking with him. And it's kind of like I talked about testing Thornton. I wonder if one of the ways they're going to counter speed because they're going to face a ton of speed this year. And obviously they have, you know, fast corners, Marcus Jones, Jonathan Jones. But I wonder if one of the ways they'll try to can- cancel it is go back to the, you know, the one game plan against the Rams. Hit him. Just hit him. Knock him on their ass and then and no. then see what happens. So if you're going to do that, if, if that's going to be a part of your defensive game plan, that bodes well for, for Juwan Williams because that's what he does. Yep. A um, couple other things that we saw today. Ty Montgomery uh, getting reps with the running backs and the receivers. Again, I, I find it I, I don't see any way in which Montgomery doesn't make this team. It's really early, but I do think their plan is to use him um, as kind of a jack of all trades, versatile sort of guy. And again, depending on the James White situation, um, this third down back role could very much be his or his and Ramondre, um, you know, uh, who's, you know, certainly going to be a little bit more adept at, at catching balls than Damian Harris. Harris still running with the ones, but I do think that this is your three headed monster, mainly at running back. I, I think, Taylor might be on the outside here with this group, uh, but that's just my read. He had a rough day, Taylor. He had a drop today. And again, the pass blocking still concerns me in, in regard to him playing that role. Montgomery is one of the most fascinating players to me they've had in camp in a while, maybe in my entire time on the beat, because I agree with you. He's going to make the team, but yeah. there's so many different directions they can go with him, right? Even just roster wise, how do they view him? Do they view him as a wide receiver? Do they view him as a running back? If they view him as a wide receiver, and I, I mean, this is nothing new. I've talked about this before. Everyone's looking for their Debo. Yeah, that, <laughs> that to me is maybe honestly more Kendrick Bourne. Like, I love Kendrick Bourne ski, as a scheme touch guy. Me with, too. with Montgomery, to me, it's like, all right, well, if they view him as a receiver, you have pending a trade because none of these guys are getting cut. Bourne, Myers, Parker, Aguilar, Thornton. You have those five. So then Montgomery six, I'm not going to count Slater here, but Montgomery six. So now you look at a guy like Trey Nixon, who had a good day today, by the way. Like, are they going to carry seven receivers versus do they view Montgomery as a running back? And then does that mean a redshirt year for Kevin Harris? Does it mean a redshirt year for Pierre Strong? Does it mean JJ Taylor can't make the roster, right? And that's just the roster construction of it. Then you get into build, you know, building the actual game plan. If he's going to be your third down back, you know, those are snaps where he can't be a wide receiver. Are you going to use him as a wide receiver? Are there situations where it's him and, you know, James White, if he's playing, or him and Ramondre Stevenson on the field at the same time? How does the defense read that? Do do they read it as one running back? Do they read it as two running backs? Right. There's just so many things you can do with them. There's so many ways to go. And none are right or wrong. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they should use him like this or they should use him like that. And I love to do that. People who watch the show, me and so last week I made sidebar. Last week I made a stupid joke. I said the former host of this podcast. People got mad at me People for that. And really they think mad thinking you. Yeah. I know that's like an in, Evan suggested that terminology. That's an inside joke between me and him. Uh, he's very much in on the joke, but I guess I'll stop because I don't want to upset people. But um, people got if, so if you, mad in the comments. It was his idea. Look at it. He's still getting me in trouble. He's not even hosting the show. He's still getting me in trouble in the comments. They got um, almost anyway. as mad at that as me being on the show at all. Um, <laughs> People, yeah. uh, anyway, people who watch the show know I love to be like, we have to use this player this way because asset management, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't exist with Ty Montgomery. You could show me five different plans for how to use them, and I think they'd all probably be legitimate. It's going to come down to how the other personnel rounds out around them. 
And I think, honestly, some of it might go week to week just based on the matchup and who they're playing. I, and again, I really do believe the guy who gets the most snaps out of that backfield by a wide margin is going to be Ramondre because of his ability to use both. But I it's do think Montgomery. Yeah, but I do think Montgomery is going to be um, so, going to be kind of all over the field in multiple roles there, yeah. and you are going to see him, uh, you know, uh, make some plays. The one thing I wonder about them really putting a heavy workload on Ramondre Stevenson. He's still under contract for two more years. You, they, you don't want to burn him out. And that's something they're very conscious of. They do. They, they, they like to make sure that they don't run any of their backs into the ground during. The yeah. I mean, you redshirted Harris and then he was the lead back a year later. Right. Uh, Ramondre did get some run last year, but I do feel like, um, you know, if anything, right. You, you, you still, if you don't plan on doing anything with Damian Harris after this year, you can run him into the ground if you wanted to. And you still have Ramondre fresh for two years after that. I just think he's just the more dynamic, explosive playmaker, and he gives you a little bit more flexibility with your offense when he's out there. I just think it's going to, it's just going to go there, regardless of intent. Well, I mean, they'll tell you, you want your best 11 guys on the field, and there's not a ton of ways you can arrange that, not have Ramondre on the field. So, right. So, yeah, I do see that happening. But again, they both seem, you know, I, you know, Harris is going to get in the mix too, but like I said, just Ramondre right now, you know, just the way he's being used early um, and the way he looks and a little bit leaner and just looks good catching the ball out of the backfield. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We did want to wrap up. You can't go an entire day without talking about Mac. Um, And again, especially since the offense had um, struggled some, I will say, and I'm not saying this just to be a Mac Jones apologist, um, I don't put a lot of any of the struggles over those, uh, couple days, uh, really on him. It's not like he was missing open guys. It's not like he was making poor reads. He wasn't late. Uh, guys just weren't open when they were doing the 11 on 11s. Um, and he had to scramble sometimes and he just, there was really nobody there. He made some throws where it was those put it where only the receiver can get it sort of throws. Cause that was the best that he had to go with. He only threw that one pick. Um, so I don't think he was bad even in those days, but you do want to see them make some plays today. Today was a bit of a settled down day, even though it was far from perfect. Well, I, my big takeaway with that, there were times last year and look, he's played a full NFL season since then. So using last year's training camp as a baseline is a little, it's it's not perfect, but I do think this is a point worth making. Max MO last year was he'd play great in camp, like in camp is MO last year in camp. He would be great until he made his first mistake, and then he would like and shut down, right? And case, then yeah. he was kind of done. He threw a pick to end the last practice, which was on Saturday. They were off yesterday. He threw a pick to end Saturday, comes out today, throws a pick on the first pass, and then yeah. after that, I thought he was really good. He was, you know, 10 of 14. He was throwing the ball down the field more, testing some windows. So, you know, again, there's a whole season of football in between the two, so it's not a perfect way to show, like, linear growth, but – that was good to see that he kind of made that mistake. He put it past him and he kept going. That's maturity. That's what you want to see. That's part of the year two growth for a quarterback. So that, you know, aside from, and then he played well after the pick, that's obviously good, but just the, the order, everything went, I thought it was notable given the way his camp went last year. Yeah. And that is good. And we talked about this earlier in the week. He, he was, he gets really, worked up and that was something that we didn't know when they drafted him as much like how right 
into his head and almost like you got to pull him back to rescue him from himself. He gets when, when things don't go his way. And again, when you're playing in Alabama and you've got the receivers that he had and, and a 75 completion percentage, there weren't a lot of moments right, where we he never felt saw that way that. in college. Yeah. You just didn't see it. So then you come here and it's a little bit of a different ball game. I think it was surprising. It's like, Oh, wow. I didn't know that about you. Um, so, you know, interesting uh, for sure. But uh, again, day five, we're back on Tuesday. We'll have a lot more stuff and we'll keep doing these pods every day um, to update you with, uh, you know, the latest, uh, you know, goings on. Are we padded again? I believe so. Yeah, I think it's through the week and then Fridays, the in stadium will probably be a walkthrough or scrimmage or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, next few days are going to be fun in terms of, you're going to see some real competition um, and there'll be a lot more to talk about than we've had over the first few days. So make sure you tune back in here um, around this time each day, Alex Barth, of course, working for 98.5, the sports hub um, has a busy slate. He's popping on the radio. He's writing uh, obviously for 98.5. There is our number one Pat's go-to guy. So make sure you check out all of his stuff over there. You can listen to his podcast as well. Uh, he had Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald, Andrew Callahan and the Pat's interference podcast, which and, can also be found here on the CLNS media network. And, and I that hope came up some cross promotional. Yep. There was, um, there was. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. I didn't know podcast. he's not allowed to mention Ramondre Stevenson on his show. Apparently that's a thing. I thought really? that was funny. He said Why he talks that? about him too much. So he made a role that he made a rule. He can't talk about him for a little I bit. I got it. It's a, it's a so diet. It's if a- you want, if you want Andrew Callahan talking about Patriots, Pat's interference. But if you want him talking about Ramondre Stevenson, the only place you can get that, the Sports Hub Patriots podcast, 98.5thesportshub.com. Yeah. So check that out. Check out Callahan. He'll be potting again a couple times this week with his observations on Pat's interference. You get all of that terrific content here on our Patriots YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass. So subscribe. Tell everybody about it. Same thing, Greg Bedard. Uh, he's got a podcast dropping later today as well. Uh, his observations, quick hit observations are up on uh, the site and up here on YouTube as well. So subscribe. Turn on your notifications. Tons of live programming. Uh, an insane amount of Patriots coverage coming your way uh, over these days throughout training camp and obviously into the season as well. Um, so we are here for you guys. Uh, and it's always a, a joy when you, uh, when you join us, particularly here live on a work day, uh, hanging out, talking past, which is always fun. So again, uh, for Alex Barth, I'm John Zanis. 